I am just doing you a favor and setting a timer here. So my name is Anna Wozniak. For those of you who I have not met yet, um, I have been married to Aaron Wozniak for just over 23 years now. We have, uh, yeah, we have four kids uh, here, um, not all here, but um, between the ages of 10 and 20, and I have had the privilege of helping lead uh, the Open Door Youth for the last uh, almost, what, four and a half years? Um, it has been a privilege and an honor and a training ground for me, and it has been, it has especially been a privilege to get a front row seat to what God is doing in their lives. I love it, love it, love it. Um, so to, this morning, I want to highlight to you some of the things um, that were different in the community of the early church that we read about in the New Testament. The New Testament church was known for being a thriving community. It was actually so known for it that it is in the uh, historical um, records and notes that were kept outside of the church, outside of the Bible. People who didn't want anything to do with the gospel message were making note of this because it was so shocking what they were seeing within the church. Um, if you take a look at this verse here, you can see why it might have been so shocking. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Now, how many are a little blown away by something you just read right there? The first three sentences tell us what they did, and the last sentence tell us what God did. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That can just blow the mind on so many levels, guys. I would, I would urge you to take that home and chew on it some more. But we will continue moving on here. They took care of their own with fierce generosity. They practiced hospitality in a way that our society has lost touch with. One Bible version actually talks about Paul's um, stay with those when he came home from the mission field as, as him staying long enough with them to rub the, uh, how do they put it, to rub the rough edges off of each other. Guys, that's not just stopping in for a tea for two hours and telling you how the mission trip went. That is staying so long that you have long enough to figure out you know, who, who didn't change the milk bag and who left the toilet seat up and who left the meat out and get a little annoyed with each other and come all the way through that to the point of loving each other anyways. And that's really hard to imagine in our society today where we always hear the phrase about not overstaying your welcome, right? We've got shrinking front porches today and, and elaborate backyards with higher privacy fences. We now have entire living room sets in the backyard, but hardly anybody is gonna be seen in the front porch just sort of sitting there waiting for a neighbor to come by and talking. And, and it's great, it's, it's great having privacy, it's great having you know, a, a, a furniture set in the backyard, but not at the cost of real community. We can't afford to lose that. It's a practice we need to start making, and the church is the one that's going to set the way for the rest of the world. Because we know how to do community the way God intended it to be, and everybody needs that. Everybody has this hole in them that is crying out for that. So I love the idea of theme dinners. That's a very popular thing today, okay? 
I, I, I'm creative. I love the doing things in the kitchen. And, and it's fun, right? It's fun to get everything decorated and theme going on and, and all that stuff. But not if it means that you're not able to just welcome in a fellow Christian randomly during the day to help you finish off the jar of peanut butter. Do real life together. It's okay. It's okay to just fold laundry together. It's okay. If you have a mountain of laundry high enough, you're going to get a good five or eight hours of talking time with that person. So go for it. So the 920 camp retrip, camping trip that we do each year is our one opportunity to do community together for four days straight. In the beauty and the mess of nature, we see the beauty and the mess of each other. We have a chance to learn what each other is like under pressure, getting stressed, getting, getting um, you know, different annoyances, and love past it. And that's why it is such a golden opportunity for us I want to share with you Proverbs 27, 17. I love this verse, even though sometimes I hate it a little bit, but I love it. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. That's how it's done with steel, right? They sharpen steel by rubbing two pieces of steel together until the sparks fly, but that's how it gets sharpened. That's the way God does it with us. How many are married? Well, don't be afraid to admit it. Okay, so... You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, how often do the sparks fly? <clears throat> and we're not always talking like the lovey-dovey sparks. I, I have known Aaron my whole life. I, I think I've had a crush on him since the day I got my first hormone. And I'm telling you, for the last 23 years, there's been a lot of sparks flying. And it's not always because we're so over, you know, the moon in love with each other. Some days it is, but some days it's just because there is iron sharpening iron, Right? And you realize, I didn't know that person had the a, a capacity to annoy me that much or to hurt me that much. And you find out, lo and behold, that you have the same capacity. But in the process, God is taking two individuals and making them better people. That's what he does. That's what he does in the covenant of marriage. It's a prime example of it. But he also does that in family, and he does that in church family, if we let him right? We stick it out. We stick around together. And that's what he does. He makes better people. I mean, he uses the dirt in others to bring out the dirt in us. And then if we let him, he'll skim a little off the top every time and we become a better person, right? So we get good at what we practice. We either practice letting him do that or we practice enjoying our dirt, right? So that's what community is all about. And that's the second point I was hoping to make to you, is that um, the idea of people being imperfect or annoying is not a new one. And I know that, even in the church, I know that because of all the verses that we see in the, in the New Testament dis, de, um, instructing the early church on how to handle each other and how to get past different difficulties. Yes, they were known for great community and unity outside the church. But we know from reading their mail that it wasn't always easy. So this idea of somebody being annoying or hurtful or anything else in the church is, it didn't just start yesterday. This verse here um, is one of those um, instructions, and he says, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, those, those are big words, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, I mean, that's, these are big words. Then do me a favor. Okay, what, Paul, what do you want us to do? Agree with each other. Love each other. 
be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. I love the way the message did that verse, but there, there's, I'm sure it's going to be good anywhere you read it, but that's the message version. Love it. There is another slide I want to show to you, and we're not going to go through all of them, but to go ahead and switch it, guys. But for those of you who are note takers, feel free to take these verses down. Feel free to take a picture with your phone and add it to your notes, because this is chocked full of stuff that you can go through at home. It's not conclusive, but it is just a sampling of some of the many ways that he was instructing the early church on how to do this well. So thirdly, you need to know that Christianity is designed to be done with community. It's the only way it can be done, actually. It is a team sport. It always has been, and it always will be. One area that I had a chance to be reminded of that this summer um, was a few weeks ago, I received an alarming uh, medical diagnosis for one of our sons. And having just walked away from this CAT scan, this image was right there in my mind, like with strobe lights. And I was trying to let it go. Um, I had to stop in um, at a friend's house briefly on, on my way out to groceries, see if she wanted to come, and um, let her know the diagnosis and um, kept going. And she calls me in the middle of the store Sylvana, I know you hate being called out, but Sylvana Delancey, she calls me in the middle of the store, God bless her, and she says, Anna, I feel like we're supposed to be praying about this together. And I knew she was right. I knew I'd freak people out if I did it in, in, in the middle of the meat section in Costco, but I knew she was right. And, and um, she says, Anna, I just saw this thing in, in my devotions this morning where they talked about the soldiers, how they don't always use their shield of faith on their own. Sometimes the battle plan calls to lock those shields together in some formation and use them as a team. And the crazy part about what she was saying is that I had just walked into a movie about Roman soldiers two nights earlier that somebody else was watching, and that's the scene I walked into. All their battle shields locked together in a way I had never seen it before in order to do battle. Sometimes that's what the battle plan is right? But you can't do that without community. So the next slide is going to show you an idea of our shield of faith being used alone, stopping all the darts of the enemy. Now there's two ditches to every road, and there are some out there within church communities who don't know, haven't learned how to hold up their own shield of faith yet. Even after years of being in a church, they would rather lean on other people than, than, um, then develop the spiritual strength themselves. But we are called to hold up our own shield of faith. But there's another side to this, and this is the other ditch to the road, and that is when we think we have to be lone rangers all the time. And that's not the way God designed it. There are times, as you're going to see in the next slide, that he calls us to lock those shields together, and that's the only way you're going to succeed in that particular battle. Now that day that we prayed together, God did a miracle of protection for my son. It was, it was I, I can't get into all the details, but he's got this hole in his jaw and super thin bone material all around it. And that day made the mistake of running head first into this enormous glass window and, and shook it so hard they weren't even sure the door would still run on the runners and, and somehow, somehow never, never fractured his jaw. 
and never and never got his concussion symptoms or anything like that. Um, I know it was God. I know it was. And I know that God had moved before me for a couple of days to get us ready for that. He knew that I would need that prayer. The hour that we would be praying is when it happened. So he had moved before me. But the other miracle that he did in this, possibly even a greater miracle, is that my heart that was wrestling so deeply with fear versus faith, that battle continued to rage for at least a day and a half. I was constantly, constantly trying to shut that fear down. Everything I was doing, it was just back in there again and again and again. And finally, the next evening, early evening, it dawned on me, hang on a second. It is a beautiful day like gorgeous, not even too hot, just perfect. How often do you get that in Ontario, right? Not too hot, not too cold. And it's the sun was shining and the birds were singing and the laundry had dried on the line and and he's asymptomatic. So he, he, he wasn't even in pain and all the rest was just up here and fear is a liar. And that breakthrough continued with me, and he has started getting more symptoms now, but that breakthrough has continued to to stay with me. That peace is still there. It's still locked in, and I believe that only happened because of the battle plan that God asked us to implement, and that can only happen if you're in community. This is what the body of Christ is for. Um, Goodness, I wanted to thank you guys again. I know Jason already said this, but many of you did this for us during our camp trip. Your prayers can be tangibly felt sometimes on that trip. There are moments that we know God has gone before us. There are moments that there's no other way to describe it. But we know that we're being carried on the prayers of you who are faithful to pray for us during that time. And finally, I just want you to know that the family of God is different from any other type of community. It transcends blood relations. It transcends language barriers. It transcends distance. Um, one time that we experienced this very strongly in our family was in BC. We were there for a missions trip as a family and it was this amazing God-led thing where, where he led us all the way out there and confirmed it with these crazy miracles all the way along. I mean, I could tell you that one for an hour, but we get out there and it just felt like the ground was ripped out from underneath us. And we thought, God, what are you doing? It was so confusing and so, we, it, it, on every level, there was just this, this complete, I don't even know how to put it into words, but, you know, a, an attack on, on our identity and our purpose and, and just in every way there was confusion. I thought, God, what happened? And, and he explained this to us later. But meanwhile, in that place, we found ourselves being um, ministered to by those in the body of Christ, not the ones who had called us out to do that, but by others. That's an important point too, because when God asks you to do something, nobody can get in the way of his word over your life. Nobody. It doesn't matter if it's somebody in the church letting you down or hurting you, he will fill the void himself or he will send others in his community through his spirit to make up the difference. He will. Okay, so we are directed by his words and he will not ever, ever, ever fail us. So we learn that strongly, but we also learn while finding ourselves in the middle of this Malaysian church in the middle of Vancouver, of all places, I don't even remember how we ended up there, but amongst all these people who we didn't look like and didn't sound like, we were at home. Not that we were called to stay there, but God was giving us a refuge for one morning. And it was the craziest thing because we couldn't understand half of what they were saying. And their accents were so thick we couldn't even understand half their English. 
But there we were sitting in this church and knowing that we were at home, our spirits had a safe place of rest and God was telling them who we really were through the spirit. And we knew in that moment that anywhere we go in the world, anywhere, we can experience that because all it takes is a spirit of God being in somebody else. And the spirit in them connects with the spirit in us and says, hey, there you are. And, and it goes from there. And that's an awesome thing. The other time my husband was in Africa, he was doing some preaching on the West Coast, doing some evangelism in a country called Ghana. And he's preaching to this crowd of people and the interpreter is, you know, they're doing their thing together. And all of a sudden he's got this crazy sense that he needs to uh, speak in tongues. And he doesn't normally just do that from the pulpit, right? Like what sense would that make to you guys if I stood here speaking in tongues? So he's trying to kind of ignore it and it just keeps bubbling up inside and finally he just lets it out and he went on and on, maybe, what, 20, 20, 30 minutes? And the crowd was just like, the whole time. They seemed to be getting it. He wasn't. And afterwards, he finds out that he just spoke to them the rest of the sermon in perfect Swahili. Now, what we also didn't know is that the interpreter who he had been using was not interpreting him correctly ahead of time. So God knew that. And God knew that we had to, it was time to bypass language. And only our God can do that. Right? And there was great things that happened from that service. And the people responded in rich, amazing ways. Only the Spirit of God can do that. So I say this to encourage you that community here is different than community in the rest of the world. That spirit connection transcends all the normal borders all the normal things that would hem it in and prevent it from going any further. If any of you do not know what I am talking about, I encourage you to approach people who are up here for prayer or anybody else who you see that light in their eyes and make sure that you are part of the family of God. I encourage you to take this moment. If you have never heard this before, think it over. Think it over. It's the most amazing decision you will ever make. All you have to give up is everything. And in exchange, you get to really live. Thanks, guys. Hello, uh, my name's Andrew, and um, I'm gonna share today on the value of servanthood. Um, it really stretches me to be up here, so I'll do my best to remain understandable and concise thoughts. <laughs> um, so I have a lot of scripture, so I'm gonna get right into it, but I'm gonna pray right beforehand. Father, thank you for this opportunity, Lord, and thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray that anybody here that um, is looking for opportunity to serve others, Lord God, that they'd find it from, from, from encouragement from this message, Lord God, or prayer afterwards, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm uh, going to share on the value of servanthood. Um, so I was driving the other, the other day before um, the camp retreat, and um, I uh, was just thinking of what I should share on. And so Ephesians chapter 4 chap popped into my head, and um, so I'm just going to start there, and uh, we'll get going. So 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 4. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. So verse 1, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Um, God calls each one of us to serve and love the church as one of many things, but I'm really going to focus on um, serving and loving the church. Galatians 6, verse 10, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. Um, So... Before the camping trip, um, we, we had a meeting for the camping trip, um, and I was it was about an hour before the trip. A friend of mine uh, texts me and he asks me, um, hey, um, my ride just bailed on me. I have a meeting at the bank. Um, can you give me a ride? And so I was thinking, well, you know, it's cutting a bit close. I'll have to leave right now. I'm in the middle of doing something, right? But I went and did it. I um, gave him a ride, a, a ride to where he needed to go, and that was that, and everything worked out. So... Um, just doing a little thing like that was important because I found out later his ride bailed on him because his dad was in the hospital. And, um, you know, I didn't know that how that would bless him. That would take one stress off of his life. Um, things can happen from that. Um, first Peter four, verse 10 to 11, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gift gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Um, Matthew 25, verse 23. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. So if we look for those little opportunities to help each other, we see it right here that um, God's going to give us much more uh, responsibility and um, uh, the ability to serve in a greater capacity. And we don't know what that's going to look like, and we don't know what doors that's going to open up for us unless we actually do it. So verse 2 of Ephesians, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Sometimes it's hard to serve people or even God, but it's so very vital to our daily walk. Look where Jesus started as a humble carpenter. Even when he stepped into his glory time in ministry, he still had a servant's heart. Matthew 20, verse 28. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' life started out as, as just an everyday average Joe, uh, a carpenter. I, I would imagine um, that it wasn't a very glamorous job back in the day. Um, and, you know, he did that for, what, 30 years or so? And then um, he stepped into his ministry, right? So he, he, he served others and he waited for God's timing. And, he, and, and I believe that he honestly sought after it day in, day out. And when the time came, Doors were open for him, and you can see how Jesus' life played out and um, the great, amazing, the most amazing thing anyone could ever do. He did. And in that, God used him greatly. Um, Matthew 20, verse 26. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader, uh, wants to be a leader among you, must first be your servant. We will be made into God's great plan if we walk out of a servant's heart. 
Matthew 25, 34 to 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed, um, blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you in the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when, we, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. When we do these things, we're ser- like serving others, we're actually doing them to God. Whether we're forgiving people, loving people, having grace for people, or um, just helping them. So Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Psalm 16, 7 and 8. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me, for I will not be shaken, for he is right by my side. So who is the Lord who guides me? I believe it's the Holy Spirit. Um, I believe at night, like we're, uh, it's talking about in, in Psalms, um, that's when things come up in our hearts that um, we're alone. You know, there's nobody around, um, or at least they might be sleeping or whatever. And, and God wants us to learn how to deal with those things. He wants us to, to use the tools he's given to us from the church services and all the different things we do. He wants us to learn how to do that. But there's also one other thing I think he wants us to do, and it's really helped me, is you have friends. If you're struggling, call them up when you're alone. You know, um, call them up and let them just bless you and pray for you. Just even talk, just whatever, just how how has your day been, right? That can really encourage you. Um, how this ties in is we need to be willing to be served if we want to be servants. So we can learn some of those skills from others. We can learn how what, what best helps us so that we can try to better serve others. Um, for I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he's right by my side. Verse 4 of Ephesians. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. The hope for that future is only obtained by doing one thing, serving others in God through prayer and deed. You can choose to look for that future right now by your deeds and prayer and be the bride of Christ that Revelations talks about, or you can be out in the sea of glass. For those of you who remember that when Eliezer was here, he actually shared something pretty cool. He says, you can either serve now or you can serve later. Um, That is the value of servanthood. I believe that the bride of Christ, the overcomers, made themselves very much into servants to others. As we heard in Matthew 25, 34 to 40, when we do these things to others, we're actually serving God. And that's probably the greatest way we can serve God is by loving and blessing each other. Um, Of course, we can um, serve God directly, but I think um, more times than not, we're actually serving others, and that's the best way. Um, So what does all of this look like? We have many ministries in our church, such as the men's meeting, hot dog ministry, Thursday night, Sunday morning prayer, Wednesday morning and night, um, the youth group. If you, if you look, you'll find an opportunity to serve, whatever it is. Um, I believe that if we want to be used by God, we need to put ourselves into a position of being able to be used by God by going to those ministries and saying and, and, and praying beforehand, God, use me tonight. God, use me here. Use me there. But if we don't put ourselves into a position of being used by God, I think it's very difficult for things to actually work out. 
Now, of course, there's interceding in your house, but I don't think anyone's called just to do that. I think we're all called to actually go out and do stuff as well. So I would encourage you to find a ministry and find a way to serve God, and God will use you. Um, and I have a little bit of a testimony, that um, a bit of a confirmation for that. Um, the other week I was at the hot dog ministry, and the ho- so the hot dog ministry, um, just a little plug here, um, the hot dog ministry is every Thursday night. Um, we come and set up around 6.15. We try to get there. It's over at the 9.20 building every Thursday night. Doors open around 7 o'clock, sometimes a little bit before. And um, basically, we serve food. Um, hot dogs are consistent. Sometimes people bring donations. We give out, um, we give out clothing. Um, we have opportunity for people that want to lead worship. There's slots open for that. And um, we're always looking for people to come on out and, and, and serve in different ways. But the number one way we're looking for people to serve is probably people that want wanted to come out and just talk to the people, talk to the people that come out. Sometimes we have upwards of 100 people. Sometimes we have 20. So um, depending on the weather, we'll be outside with the barbecue. Um, in the winter, we're inside um, 920, just uh, boiling boiling the hot dogs. Um, the other week, I was at the hot dog ministry um, to serve God, the same as any other week. It was just an average week. Um, I had been praying that God would use me in this ministry more and more, and uh, many of us have, but I was praying for that, you know, um, and, and I, w- I was believing that God's going to do something, that he would use me, that there'd be signs and wonders and miracles in this ministry. Um, I was making myself available, right? You can see that. I was um, seeking God, and I was going out and just making myself in- into a position where God can use me. Um, there was a group of six people there um, who I'd, I thought I'd never seen before. Two kids, a mother, a father, a grandma, and a friend from the States. I went and talked to them and found out they had been there before. They just hadn't been around in a while. I just didn't remember them. Later on that night, the little boy and the girl approached Mike Matthews, his wife, and myself, and they asked a few questions. And um, just out of the blue, out of the blue, these guys, they showed up, just hadn't been there in a long time. Obviously, something was stirring in their heart. Out of the blue, these two little children, maybe eight years old, they say, we want to receive Jesus into our hearts. We'd been praying that God would use this ministry, you know, like we made ourselves available and he did. And we prayed with them and they did it. Then all of a sudden their friend from the States who was just visiting, he came out, he saw what was happening. He's like, I want in. And so he prayed, we prayed with him as well. And, and three people got saved and um, I'm not sure, maybe more happened after that with the rest of the family. I was able to pray with the grandmother. She was going for chemotherapy. Um, I don't know if anything came of that, but um, I just took that opportunity. Um, perhaps the greatest way we can be used by God is putting ourselves into positions that God can use us. Actively choosing to think like that. It's perhaps the best way to serve God, and when the opportunity comes to help others, um, brothers or sisters, or even a stranger, take that opportunity. Because sometimes you lose that opportunity if you if you don't if you if if you if you just shrug it off. Sometimes that person um, moves away. Um, sometimes something more tragic can happen. We don't know, so we should seize the opportunity as soon as we have it. And of course, God's grace is in that. When we serve each other, we are serving God, and we're building our community every step of the way. Good morning, everyone. My name is Mekleet. I was also at the camping trip. It was amazing. Um, And I shared on an aspect of community, specifically on contending for friends. Um, So before I start, I'm just going to pray, and then we'll get into it. Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for the camping trip that you just made everything work out, Lord. And um, thank you that you just heard everyone's prayers and 
that you're faithful, Lord, and I thank you that we have another opportunity here to share the message that you've given us all. Um, I pray that your words would be spoken through my mouth, Lord, that, um, yeah, it would be easily understood, Lord, and that you would move in powerful ways through this message. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so we're going to read from Mark 2, verse 1 to 5. Uh, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. So some of us might know this story as a story of forgiveness, primarily, maybe healing, a story specifically centering around the paralyzed man. But about a week before the camping trip, I had been reading this in Mark, um, and what really jumped out to me was that it's very much a story about friendship and contending for your friends. Um, so I'll give you a little bit of context. I did like five minutes of research, and what I found was that the largest homes, the largest homes, <coughs> excuse me, in Caper Capernaum um, had about a 50-person capacity with people squished really tightly together. Uh, roofs were made with branches laid across ceiling beams, um, and these branches were packed with mud that dried in the sun, kind of similar to a hut. Um, so the roof was sturdy enough that you could walk on it, but also it could be dug through to some degree. Um, and so there would typically be outside staircases leading to the roof, so people could go up there if they would like. Um, yeah, so sturdy to walk on, but also um, you could dig through it. So going back to verse 2, it said, While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. So we see these four men carrying their friend, who obviously couldn't bring himself to that place. They arrive at the house where they knew that Jesus, um, the Messiah, healer of the sick, had been performing miracles. They believed in what he was doing um, and that he could heal their friend. They get there, they assess the situation, and it seems like there's no way to get their friend in, um, not even to mention get them near Jesus at all. Um, so that's where they're at. We're going to pause here. We're going to look at verse um, chapter 6 verse 2 of Galatians so this is one that um, Anna had mentioned before and it reads carry each other's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ in the New Living Translation it says share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ and I like this term um, share because to me I'm a very visual person so I'll picture like a group of people sharing you know a piece of bread we did communion, communion today, so just imagine like a large loaf of bread, as you share it with other people, the portions become smaller, they decrease, so it's a lighter weight um, to bear. So we're instructed to share the weight of whatever issue we're dealing with, to handle it in community. Now if we look back at this, um, this story in Mark 2, these men were made aware of the burden that their friend had, they physically carried the weight of his paralysis, his inability to move or to walk. They brought him over to Jesus. They took it upon themselves to bring him forward when he couldn't get there himself. They wanted to move beyond his current state, right? They didn't want their friend to remain in this position of not having 
you know, a body that functions properly. So for many of us here, we might have someone in our lives, we might have a friend um, that is carrying a burden. Maybe it's a physical burden like this man here. Maybe it's someone who's dealing with depression. Maybe they're, you know, dealing with a really pressing family circumstance. For me, I'll give you a little bit of insight to who I am. I'm very much a doer. So I like to solve problems if I can. If I don't think I can, then I'll kind of retreat from it, um, which is not a good thing, but the Lord is doing a, a good work in my life, okay? So um, yeah, if someone comes to me, if a friend comes to me with a problem, I'm excited, I'm ready to like, you know, give them a solution if I have it, I wanna see everything laid out, point A to point B. Um, but if I can't, like I said, I'll kind of shy away from that issue. But the thing there is, I'm putting the responsibility on myself to solve their problem um, or to rid of their burden, right? Whereas when we share our burdens, you know, I could be there, be there for that person in a different way. The Lord has been teaching me, sometimes you just need to sit with your friend. You just need to be there with them, right? You don't necessarily have to bring a solution to them because ultimately Jesus is a solution. In a second circumstance, if I'm the person who's carrying a burden, I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that I'm an only child. I'm very independent. Um, so I don't, it's not my natural inclination to tell people if I'm dealing with something. My mom knows that very well. Um, but yeah, I'll kind of shy away from, from doing that, which is also not good because in a sense, I'm thinking to myself, oh, they can't help me with this issue. Um, again, putting the responsibility of solving that problem, relieving me of that burden on that person putting that responsibility on that person, which is also not what we're trying to do here, not what we're instructed to do. So we bear each other's burdens, we acknowledge them and don't run away from them, we feel with our community and we offer our support, but the Bible also states in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, this is Jesus, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we share each other's burdens, we are vulnerable with each other, we carry the weight of that thing, but we don't just stay in that position, right? We bring them to Jesus, whether it's you know yourself laying a burden down at Jesus' feet, but when we're doing it in community, let's say Howard has an issue and he tells me about it, I'm going to bring that to the Lord. I'm going to intercede on his behalf um, and do everything I can to bring that to Jesus, regardless of, you know, what might discourage me. Maybe, you know, in, in some sense, the house that Jesus is in seems full. The, the enemy's going to give us these... Um, these thoughts of discouragement, like, oh, maybe Jesus isn't going to hear you. He's not listening to your prayers. There's no solution here. But you push past that and you intercede like these faithful friends did. So we bring our burdens to the Lord. Looking back at this story, these men loved their friend. Their heart was to bring him, carry his burden to the one that they knew could heal him. But suddenly they're brought to a stop, they see no way in, but they don't respond with, well, you know, God is good and he has his timing and even in your paralysis, he is still Lord. That's all true, yes and amen. But they went beyond that. What I love about this story is that these men didn't perceive their inability to push through the crowd as a lost opportunity, but instead they were innovative and creative, thinking outside of the social norm of, or, or thinking outside of what they could see, uh, which would be to just walk through the door as anyone else would. Um, but they created an entrance out of pro a protective covering. 
And guess what? The burden wasn't on them. That's the biggest lesson that I learned from this story. They didn't have to do the healing. They just had to believe that Jesus could, and they had to lay their friend at his feet, carry his burden to the Lord. It's a really easy job. Just carry it to the Lord, and he'll do the work. So I'll show you, or I guess I'll share with you two examples of this in my life. Um, so remembering that in my natural state, I'm not very good at handling issues if I don't think I can fix them. So I had a friend, she was going through something once. Um, she had a dream, was kind of broken, wasn't happening. So she called me crying, she was devastated, and I didn't know what to do, but I, I wanted to be there for her. Um, and it was nine o'clock at night, it was, I had to work the next day, love my sleep, but I was like, you know what, I'm gonna come pick you up, come stay at my house. So I went, I grabbed her and she came over and she just stayed with me, we just sat, we just talked. Um, and she was kind of discouraged and I was trying to encourage her, you know, giving her the truth of God, um, but nothing was really working. And then all of a sudden, I just saw how devastated she was and it really broke my heart. Um, so I just started to pray for her, even though I knew that she probably didn't believe that what I was praying was making any difference at all, but I had to move past that and just pray, um, just intercede for her in that moment and be like, God, like, cheer her up, speak to her, your words of life, speak to her heart again, I know she knows you, I know she loves you, just embrace her, um, and that's all I had to do, right, I didn't have to fix her problem, um, and then in another circumstance, this was a few days ago. So this season in my work life has been really hard, really pressing, and really busy. Um, and so I told my parents about it, and the other day my mom was off, so she didn't have to wake up that morning. Um, but I was just in a position where I was so busy and so drained and so tired, I wasn't even praying about the situation for myself. <coughs> Excuse me. But I woke up, and I went downstairs, was gonna get ready, went to the living room, um, and my mom was just sitting there waiting to pray with me for work, which was so sweet, and just spoke volumes to me. Like when I couldn't bring myself to pray for myself, she was there and she was ready. Um, and what's interesting too is knowing about the situation, um, she was telling me before that the Holy Spirit had been waking her up in the middle of the night, reminding her of it so that she could intercede for me um, and for each of my coworkers, which is so the work of God, like so good. He's so faithful. Yeah, so in summary, there are strongholds that the enemy is going to place in our lives and in the lives of our friends. The Bible tells us that, you know, there are things we have to endure, right? It's not going to be easy, but he's given us community to deal with these things together, and again, to bring them to the Lord, to bring them to Jesus, because his yoke is easy, and he's, he's the one who's faithful to handle our situations, to give us joy in the midst of them, um, so that we can be filled again. So if you are in a position where, you know, you're afraid of people's problems, don't be. God is good. Um, yeah, don't be afraid to just sit with them and what they're dealing with. Maybe you can you know, do something else that might alleviate their issue, but be with them in it. Mourn with them, cry with them, laugh with them. If you're in a position where you're carrying a burden and, and you know, it's hard, practice vulnerability. Tell people, um, you know, don't, don't shy away from telling someone your issue because you think they might not be capable of handling it, right? They don't have to handle it. Their job as your brother or sister in Christ is just to bring that to the Lord, to share that burden with you, okay? Um, so that's everything. Be blessed. Hallelujah. Who's still awake out there?
Amen. Wow. We have heard some powerful and impactful things. And uh, yeah, so for those that don't know me, my name is Nick. Uh, I'm humbled and honored to be able to stand before you guys and just share some things that are on my heart. Is that okay? That's okay. Okay. So what I want to share about today is something that deeply impacted me, especially as a young believer, and that's finding your purpose. Now, I don't know if you guys know, but finding your purpose is something that's so popular today. It's something that's so far-reaching that if I were to decide to start a three-day conference tomorrow, I would not be able to print enough tickets for the amount of people that would want to come to this because everybody out there wants to know, what's my purpose? There's ads on TV. There's things on the internet all about this thing of finding your purpose. Now, I've got some good news for each and every person sitting here today. You have a purpose. Okay, you have a purpose, and that's something that's so fundamental that we know, because in order to find our purpose, we got to first believe that we have one, right? If we believe what the Bible says, that we're wonderfully and fearfully made, then we must be made for a purpose. So we've been sitting, and we've been listening for a while. Now, I want you to turn to the person to your left, or turn to the person to your right, and I want you to look at them and say, you have a purpose. Diego, you have a purpose. Dan, you have a purpose. Okay, okay. And now I want us to do something that's really important. So you've looked to the right, you've looked to the left, you've said to that person, you have a purpose and you've meant it. Now this is something I want all of us to do and it's something that I do regularly. I want you to give yourself a little tap on the chest and I want you to say, I have a purpose. I have a purpose. I have a purpose. Because here's the thing. If we declare the word of God over our lives, who knows that changes us? Who knows that puts us into a position where we can begin to become the people God's called us to be? But if we don't do that, then someone else's words are going to define us. Someone else's words are going to be the things that speak over us. So let us be those people that say, hey, I have a purpose. And uh, I just want to share a quote that, that I read recently that I love about this thing. And this quote says this, the two most important days in any person's life are one, the day they were born, and number two, the day they find out why, right? Let us be those people that say, hey, I know the greatest day, the one that I was born, but also the day that I found out why, because that day changes us. When we begin to realize what that purpose is, it affects our lives. So number one, we should know we have a purpose. Now, number two, I want to talk a little bit about how do we find that purpose and just one specific aspect of it that impacted me. And so to illustrate this, I want to share a story with you guys about a particularly awkward and vulnerable time in my life, okay? Um, and that was my transition out of grade eight into grade nine. And who's been there? Like that can be an intimidating, awkward, stressful time, right? Because I'm going from a place where I know and I'm safe. There's the people that I've known. There's the teachers that I've known. And now all of a sudden I'm thrown into this school that's three to four times bigger. There's people from all over the city. And I'm sitting there wondering, where do I fit in? And so me being the person that I am, I figured... Well, the, the only way to find out kind of where I truly belong in my place in this, this big pond is to try everything, okay? And so 
It was pretty like funny looking back at it. The first like month of school, I felt like this like ping pong ball that was just bouncing all over the place. And it would be like one day I'd go and I'd sit with like all the arts kids and I realized really quickly that is not where I belong. Like that is absolutely not my crowd. Anybody who knows me knows that's true. And then I'd sit with like the popular kids, which I don't even know what that meant. But I realized really quickly that was not where I belong either. And so it was this thing of day after day going and trying to find the people that I felt comfortable with and eventually what ended up happening was I sat down and I figured what do I enjoy what what are things that that bring me joy that that I feel comfortable doing and for me at the time it was playing basketball so it was a decision I made instead of going and sitting with yet another new group that I didn't really know I went to the basketball court and I just started playing basketball with whoever happened to be there and I'll tell you, that decision profoundly impacted the next three to four years of my high school life because I started finding these people that were my friends. I ended up playing basketball for the last three years of high school, and now these weren't just people that I would practice with daily. We would eat together, we would study together, we would wrestle through the circumstances and the situations of life together. And it was something that was really powerful. And so looking back, what I didn't realize was in order for me to find my purpose and my place in high school, I needed to find my people. And doing that, they were the ones who started to speak into my life and say, hey, you know, this is something that you're really good at. Shooting, no, don't do that. You're not good at that. But playing defense, you're good at that. So, so do that, right? And that's what community does. It, it gives a voice and it lends a voice into our lives that we can find out who we're called to be and who we're meant to be. And so I just want to share about one person in the Bible, someone in the New Testament, and the way that community and the way that finding his people impacted his destiny. And that person is uh, Saul of Tarsus, who ended up being the Apostle Paul and writing, I think, 13 of the books of the New Testament. And so he grew up, he was born from the tribe of Benjamin. He was somebody who was really zealous for God. He wanted to serve God. He wanted to be as right as he possibly could. But in that zealousness, he was going and he was persecuting the church. He was dragging people out into the streets and seeing them martyred. And that was something that he thought he was serving God. And so at one point in his life, he's on the road to Damascus. He's knocked off of his horse and he sees this bright light and he says, Lord, who are you? And the Lord reveals himself to him. He says, I'm, I'm the Lord that you've been persecuting. And he's struck blind. And at that point, he goes. And as he's sitting there, he's praying. God speaks to him. And he says, there's this guy, Ananias. I've told him he's to come and pray for you, and you're going to be healed. And at the same time, he's telling that to Saul. He's talking to Ananias in prayer. Who knows God can speak to people at the same time? Isn't that amazing? So he's speaking to Ananias. And Ananias is saying, Saul of Tarsus? Really? Like, we know who this guy is. We know what he's doing. He's dragging people out in the streets and killing them. Are you sure you want me to go pray for this guy? The Lord says, yes. And Ananias obeys. And he goes and he prays for this guy, and the scales fall off his eyes, and, and, and he's healed, and he's born again. He's a freshly born again ball of potential. And so what does he do? He goes, well... I need to go to the church in Jerusalem and I need to tell them that I've been saved. This is amazing. Now, who here knows that when he went to the church in Jerusalem, they weren't all excited about it, you know? And I'm talking like Peter, John, James, these people that had been with Jesus, 
they see this guy and they go, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, we know who you are. We know what you've been doing. You know, everybody's saying this about this guy, Saul, except one person. And it's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. It's this guy named Barnabas. So Barnabas looks and he says, no, 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 guys, 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 I see something in that person. I see a purpose in him. I see that God has done something in his life that we can't discount. I want to walk with this guy. And he begins to mentor him. He begins to disciple him. And they begin to form this bond, this powerful, powerful bond. And they begin to tour. They begin to plant churches. Signs and wonders and miracles are following these people because Barnabas was the one guy who kind of stuck his neck out and said, I think this guy's being legit. I think he has had an encounter with God. And so the impact that Barnabas had in, in Saul's life, when Saul found Barnabas, he became the man that he was supposed to be. And now later on in their journey, years and years later, they'd gone and they'd done some missionary work. And at one point, this guy named Mark was with Saul and Barnabas and things got tough persecution came and he kind of fled away he's like I can't handle this this is too much for me so he left them and so Paul had this kind of distaste toward him he's like yeah that guy Mark when, when things got tough he kind of he kind of ditched us you know so years later Saul and Barnabas go let's go back to all the churches we planted and encourage them and what does, what does Barnabas say? He says, I have a great idea. Guess who we should bring with us to help us do this? He's like, let's bring Mark. He's perfect. And Saul's like, no, 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 no. Not that coward. Not that guy who backed off and ran away when things got tough. No, 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 we're not bringing him. Now, this is the Saul that Barnabas had stuck his neck out for. But here's the thing. Barnabas can't help but being Barnabas. Right? His name means son of encouragement. And so he's doing what he's called to do. He sticks his neck out again for this guy named Mark. And he says, no, no, no. I believe that this guy has a calling on his life and I want to see it fulfilled. And so it says that such a sharp dispute arose among them that they ended up separating. Paul went with someone named Silas and they went to go do more ministry. And Barnabas took Mark. Now, who here knows that that guy, Mark, that coward that had run away after Barnabas got a hold of him and believed in him, he's the guy who wrote the gospel of Mark. Now, this guy named Barnabas that we don't hear too, too much in scripture is directly responsible for now, not 13, but 14 books of the New Testament, simply because he became that guy who instead of saying, yeah, yeah, that can't be true, he became that guy who looked and saw the destiny and the purpose in people. And so point one, you have a purpose. You need to believe that. Point number two is this. You can't find your purpose until you find your people. There is absolutely no substitute for genuine, authentic, real relationships that you form. You could go home and listen to podcast after podcast. You can have virtual church in your home. But until you get out there and start building some relationships, until you get out there and find your people, you just can't find your destiny. You can't find that purpose for which you were made. So if I could get the worship team to come, come on back up right now, that'd be terrific. I just want to share with you guys a little bit of a testimony of my journey with that. So I've been privileged to come here and, and call this church home for almost six years now, coming up on six years. And... Uh, when I came, I was in a really interesting place in my life. I was going through a lot, 
And it was just one of those things where all that you think you know, you know, you kind of don't know anymore. I don't know if anybody's been there. It was just tremendous discouragement, really, was what it was. I had so many things on my heart and so many ideas, so many words that I thought God had spoken to me that just seemed like nothing was happening, you know? It was just one of those times. And during that time, about a year into being here, I met my Barnabas, and his name's Rob. You guys probably know him. He's an encourager. He's someone who, he just can't help it, you know? Like, he is Barnabas in person in, in, in our society today. He just continually sees that seed that God's planted in people. And so he came alongside me and uh, impacted my life so, so tremendously. Believed in me, he prayed for me. He was someone I got a chance to be accountable to and, you know, just do life with. And I just want to share one of the earliest, earliest moments we ever had together. It was quite interesting looking back at it. I've, uh, I've hosted a prayer meeting at my parents' house for the past number of years. And so I met him and said, why, why don't you come on out to this prayer meeting? And so he said, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll come on out. And uh, yeah, it was just, we were praying. And I didn't know this at the time, but he was sitting there and he's someone who operates in the spirit very powerfully. And every single time he felt like the Lord was speaking to him and he tried to open his mouth and say something, right before he would say it, I would open my mouth and I would say exactly what he was about to say. And this went on all night. And he's just sitting there like, what the heck is going on, you know? Who is this person where I don't even know him? Like, I met him a week ago, and here I am. Everything that God's putting on my heart, before I even have a chance to open my mouth, here he is saying it. And like, thing after thing after thing, praying and praying and praying, all these things that are on my heart. And over the years, like, I've become a healthier, more wholesome person as a result of being in a relationship with this guy. So I want to leave us with a challenge because I feel like when we do that, we need to respond to the word that God speaks to us as a community. So my challenge is this, what would it look like if every single person that's seated in this room today did a few simple things? What would it look like if every single person sitting here today believed the simple fact that one, they have a purpose, right? They have a purpose. And number two, made a commitment to find their people. Made a commitment to find their Barnabas, to become someone else's Barnabas. I'm contending that if we were to do those things, if we were to believe that A, we have a purpose, and B, we can find our people. I believe our lives, the lives of our families, the lives of our churches and our very city and nation would be absolutely and totally changed if we did these simple things. Amen. Okay, so that's it. That is the message that we have attempted to transmit to the next generation of leaders and young people in this church. These are the words that we've given them, that we've armed them with and equipped them with to go into the next year and going into the next decade. Amen? 
So what we want to do, how we want to close this morning, we're going to ask the prayer teams to come forward to pray. But I'm also going to ask Anna to come forward and Andrew to come forward and Mechlid to come forward and Nick to come forward. And I want to ask, I want to invite you this morning, if you have a desire to encounter life in community as the first century Christians did in the early church, if you are desiring to have an encounter with God and to experience community as God has intended it and are thirsting for more of that, I want you to come and Anna's going to pray with you this morning. If you are desiring to participate in this church in a greater dimension of servanthood, if it is after hearing the message this morning, your desire to say, yes, how can I be a part of this community? How can I get involved in this community? How can I serve and see this church become even more vibrant and more dynamic than it already is? How can I be a part of making that happen? I want you to come see Andrew this morning. He's going to pray with you. If you are desiring to contend in a greater way, to intercede for your friends and family, the people around you. Maybe you just don't know how to pray for them. Maybe you feel like you've just come to a point where you just feel like, oh, I'm just so empty and I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to lead this relationship any further. I don't know. I'm out of gas. I don't know how to make it work. That's where God's grace comes through. And Mechlit is going to pray with you this morning. She wants to have a chance to pray with you that God would birth within you a greater dimension of intercession and a greater heart for your friends and your family to help carry their burdens to Him. That you wouldn't be left carrying that burden, but that you would learn to carry it to Him. She wants to pray with you this morning. And for Nick, if it's your desire to really understand the purposes and plans God has for your life, and you maybe don't feel like you have your people, and you're needing a Barnabas, and you're needing people, I want you to come see Nick this morning because he wants to pray with you. He wants to pray that God would move in a greater way to bring a Barnabas into your life and to help you find your people in this place and help you discover ultimately the very specific purposes and plans that God has for you. I want you to come see him. When you come to see these four people up here this morning, you can come see the people who are praying for people over the sides too, but if you come to them, you don't have to say one word. They already know how to pray. They're going to pray that very specific word that God has put on their hearts for you this morning. Amen? Amen. God bless you all. Enjoy the prayer time. Enjoy the worship. And we're glad that you are part of this community with us. Can you all stand, please, and join us in one last song of worship.